privilege to come together on this Lord's Day, the evening time where we are in the house of God. Are you excited that you are in the house of God? Sure. It's so wonderful, friends. You know, um, yesterday we were talking, Pastor Marty and I, you know, when people go to the ball game, and have you seen people, they get so crazy. <laughs> They're so excited. And they don't mind sitting there for two, eight hours or seven hours. And they are screaming because they are so much into. I asked Pastor Marty, can we have that spirit in the worship service when we come together? We need that excitement. We are in the presence of King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We can't get enough. If heaven is my home, then I long to be there. But I need to practice now. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's so wonderful. Pastor Marty, I appreciate. Thank you very much from my bottom of my heart for giving me this privilege to bring God's word. And you are here because you want to hear God, what he has to say today. You know, we, uh, Caleb brought that song, beautiful song, uh, um, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. I love it very much. And uh, we always sing, count our blessings, name them one by one, two by two, three by three. And let me just quickly go through. And you just count your blessings, name them two by two. It will surprise you what the Lord can do. Count the blessings, name them three by three. It will surprise you what the Lord can be. Count your blessings, name them four by four. It will surprise you there are many more. That's what we need to do. You know, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. That's gospel truth. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Because they want to go heaven according to their own time. We want the blessings of God on our terms. Bless me, bless my children, nothing wrong. Don't make me, don't misunderstand me. But the blessings are always on God's term. And that's what we are going to consider today, the Beatitudes. What the Lord had in his mind, that was the first sermon Jesus ever preached. And it, was, it is so rich. And I, I guarantee you, under God, that you will be blessed as, as you listen, week by, week, uh, whenever I opportunity. The next Beatitude would be on March, uh, May 5th. So hang in there. So today, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Imagine your mind that Jesus has a big crowd and he was on the wayside of the mountain. And the crowds were there and he opened his mouth and he began to speak to the congregation. That he said, and it is says here, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Would you please pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you this evening. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us all the goodness, your kindness, your mercy, your grace, which you have showered. Lord, this is your day, and you've given to us that we can come together and worship you. 
Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful place of worship. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful people whom you brought today in spite of the weather. And now, Lord, as we sit under the authority of your word, would you please honor us by listening to your word and give us the ear to hear and heart to obey. May the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts, be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. My rock, my redeemer, and our soon coming king. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said that everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Everybody wants the blessings, but everybody wants on their own terms. But you will find out what Jesus has to give and tell his congregation in those days. Now, in the world of men we are living in, we find nothing approaching the virtues of which Jesus spoke in the opening words in the famous Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. We are living in a time where this is which we see every day, my beloved. Poverty of this, we find the poverty of spirit. Instead of, instead of poverty of spirit, we find the rankest kind of the pride. Instead of the meekness, we find arrogance. Instead of the mourner, mourners, we find the pleasure seekers. Instead of hunger and thirst after righteousness, we hear men saying, I am rich and I don't need anything. Instead of mercy, we find cruelty. Instead of purity of heart, we find corruption and imagination. Instead of peacemaking, we find quarreling and resentful. Jesus does not offer opinion. Jesus does not offer opinion because he had no opinion. What he said was, thus says the Lord. What he said was, he uttered, is not opinion, but he spoke out of the fullness of his Godhead. So when he spoke, God spoke. When he spoke, God spoke. And his words were truth because he is the God of truth. He's God of truth. Having said this, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 to 12, Jesus gives us the series of conditional blessings, which is called the Beatitudes, or in the broader perspective, the Sermon on the Mount. The word Beatitudes, or the Sermon on the Mount, or the blessings, derives from the Greek, the Latin word, it refers to the state of happiness. Now follow very carefully how the Greek uh, thinker define the word uh, happiness and what Jesus is talking about. Jesus presents the possibility of the people being genuinely happy. Happy. Happiness is the opening theme of this great sermon of the Mount, Sermon on the Mount. Many people, including some Christians, find that hard belief. How could a message as demanding? And impossible as the Sermon on the Mount, which intended to make people happy. How can? Yet the first greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher, Lord Jesus Christ, with the repeated theme of happiness. Happiness. In this great Sermon on the Mount, Christ carefully set forth the way of blessedness and the way of happiness. 
and I let's travel together with Jesus. For those who come to Him on His condition are blessed. Those who come on His condition are blessed. So the word happiness in Greek is makarios. The word makarios is blessed means blissful or happy. Well, the Greek thinker Homer used the word makarios to describe the wealthy man is always happy. According to Homer, wealthy man is always happy. Plato used it of the one who is successful in business. That he's happy. So Homer and Plato spoke of the Greek gods as being happy within themselves. And why? Because they are unaffected by the world of men who were not subject to poverty, disease, weaknesses, or death. So according to Homer and according to Plato, those who, the, the gods are the only happy people. Because they are exempted from death, poverty, sickness, and all these things. But that is not the Bible tells us. That's absolutely different thing. The fullest meaning of the term that had to do with inward contentness. That's what Jesus is talking about. Inward contentness. That is not affected by the outward circumstances. So, our happiness is not from the outside to inside, but our happiness from inside to outside. So we control outside, not outside controls us in order to bring happiness. If you study the scripture, you'll find out what I'm saying. That is the truth. That's why Christians who knows the Lord, they are not affected with the circumstances in order to chin up the joy because they bring the joy from inside to outside. That's a different thing. That is the different thing. Happiness is the state of joy and well-being that does not depend on the physical or temporary circumstances. Now, you understand, in the scripture, we hear the word for God to be blessed. For example, in Psalm number 68, verse 35, the psalmist says, Blessed be the name of God. God to be blessed. Well, in Psalm number 72, verse 18, David says, The blessed be the God of Israel, who alone works wonders. Who alone works wonders. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, Paul writes, Glorious gospel of the blessed God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the blessedness is the characteristic of God. Blessedness is the characteristics of God, of God the characteristics, characteristic of God, and it can be the characteristic, characteristic of man only, listen to this, underline the word, only when we share his nature. So blessedness is ours in Christ when we have his nature. His nature. The, this blessedness comes from the personal relationship to Christ. To Christ. Because blessedness is a fundamentally is the character of God. Character of God. So when men partake of his nature through Jesus Christ, they partake 
the blessedness of heaven through Jesus Christ. In short, it is clear that Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is speaking only for the believers. Only they can understand. Because they have a mind of Christ. They have a spirit of Christ. They have a different look towards the world. I want you to see the, the, the progression in the Beatitude. And it's amazing. When you, study, when you read the Beatitude, it is so beautiful. The sequences, one after the other. Poor in the spirit leads to mourn of your sin. And then leads to meekness. Then to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then become merciful. Then you become a pure in heart. And then peacemaking. When you have all these things, you're odd of the world and the world will hate you or persecute you. That's how Jesus says that. So it is a sequence. So, so it is wonderful when you read in uh, uh, the whole uh, Sermon on the Mount. A Christian who has all the qualities, th that person rebukes the friends and the relatives because they have a different spirit. That's why we have so many persecutions, so many persecutions, so many martyrs, right? So, when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven, how do we, let's slice this whole verse. What, 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 what would the Lord would have us to understand this word? Blessed is the poor in spirit. So there are five things I would like to bring to you. The meaning of the word poor. Secondly, why poor in the spirit is first. Thirdly, how to achieve that poverty of the spirit. Fourthly, how do we know that we have that spirit? And fifthly, what is the result? So these are the five avenues we are going to consider this one verse. Blessed are poor in spirit, for that is the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's get right in the subject. When Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, so the question comes to mind, what is the word poor means? What Jesus had in his mind when he used the poor. In English, word poor is poor. But only the Greek language which has been originally penned this New Testament makes us understand the word poor in Greek context and Greek verb so we can understand. So let me go. The word poor in Greek is potomach. Is a form of the word meaning to shrink. Now keep that in mind. When Jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit. He's talking about shrinking yourself. Shrinking. Cringe. Shrinking. Cringe. The classical Greek used the word referred to the person reduced to Total destitution. Now it makes sense. Total destitution. Blessed are people who are totally destituted. That's what Jesus is talking about. Total destitution. Who is standing, the person who is destitute, is standing on the corner of the street begging. Begging. The Tom did not simply please Poor, but the begging poor. Begging poor. 
To be poor in spirit is to recognize one's own spiritual poverty apart from God. It is to see oneself as totally lost, hopeless, and helpless. Helpless. Apart from Jesus Christ, every person is spiritually destitute. Destitute. No matter what his education must be, or maybe he may be socially high, or his status would be high, or he must be more knowledgeable, or must be PhD, or lawyer, or doctor, whatever it is. The poor in spirit are those who recognize their total spiritual destitution and their complete dependence on God. On God. They perceive that they are not saving, they don't have any saving resources in themselves, that they can only beg mercy and grace. You know, my beloved, you have heard mercy and grace in the scripture over and over again. Mercy and grace. Paul writes in all his letter, mercy be with you, grace. Oh. Let me define both mercy and grace and then make the application. What the Lord had in his mind that they do not, do not have a saving resources in themselves, but they can only beg for mercy and grace. Now, let me define mercy. Mercy has a respect to man's wretched, miserable condition. Mercy has respect to man's wretched, miserable condition. You remember Jesus was walking in Jerusalem and there were two blind men. Have mercy on us, O son of David. You know a wretched, 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 miserable condition. You have mercy on us. So mercy has a respect to man's wretched, miserable condition, while grace has a respect to man's guilt, which has caused that condition. God gives mercy to change our condition. God gives grace to change our position. It takes from guilt to acquittal, Mercy takes us from misery to glory. Mercy takes us from misery to glory. So the poor in spirit recognize his wretched, miserable condition. He's crying out for glory. So the poor in spirit recognize his miserable, wretched condition without Christ. He also realize what caused that condition. What caused that condition? Only God in Christ forgive and change that condition and takes from misery to glory. Only. So poor in spirit conveys the sense that the recognition of poverty is genuine and not an act. It does not refer to outward acting like a spiritual beggar, but recognizing what one really is. And that is true humility. True humility about whom the Lord speaks in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2. David, after he committed sin with Bathsheba, and he was confessing his sin in Psalm number 51, 
And this is what he said in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are the broken spirit and the broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Thus says the Lord, the high and holy one who dwells on high and yet he dwells among those who are contrite in their heart. That is God's way to dwelling with people who are absolutely destitute and calling on him for mercy. So can God take him from mercy, from misery to glory. So that is the meaning of poor in spirit. Then why humility first? Why did Jesus put the humility first, not mourning or uh, uh, any other things? Jesus put this beatitude first because the humility, get this word, humility is the foundation of all the graces of God. Humility is all the graces from God. So basic elements in becoming a Christian, a quality to enter in his kingdom. If God hates the pride, and he does, right? God does hate pride. I, uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, God hates the pride. If God hates the pride, then God loves the humility. God loves the humility. And because of that pride, uh, he has to throw he has to throw out Lucifer, right? And two thirds of the angelic host thrown out from heaven. A quality to enter into the kingdom. If God hates pride, then he loves humility. Pride has no place in God's kingdom. Pride has no place in God's kingdom. That's why it is the first. The door into the kingdom is very low. No one stands tall, enter into that heaven. No one enters with that tall. We cannot be filled until we are empty. We cannot be filled unless we are empty. We cannot be made worthy unless you recognize your unworthiness. We cannot begin the Christian life without humility and we cannot live Christian life with pride. Until the soul is humble, he can never have the relationship with Christ. You remember Jesus told the parable, two men went to prayer. Remember? They had a prayer meeting. Publican and tax collector. One declare justified, not guilty. Other was not, he was guilty and condemned because he stood tall. While the other began to beat his breast and say, have mercy on me, O God. Until one knows how helpless and worthless and wretched he or she is, he or she can never see the worthiness of God in Christ. Those who refuse to recognize that they are lost and helpless are like a blind Roman girl. I love it. 
Those who refuse to recognize, they are spiritually blind. And they want to stand tall. They are like a Roman girl who insisted that she was, she, she was a blind Roman girl. She insisted that she was not blind, but that the world was permanently dark. That how people are. That how people are. Those who stand tall, they think they are the one. So here we have the meaning of the poverty, and then why humility first? Now third, how do we achieve humility? It's not available in Walmart, or it's not available anywhere. We need to find out where can we find? Where can we find? The question need to answer, how do we become poor in spirit? How do we become poor in spirit? It can start with us. Because in us, Paul writes, dwelleth no good things, right? In us dwelleth no good things, Paul writes. It cannot be achieved what we do or accomplish in our own power. Humility is not human product. It is God's. Made in God. It is the divine work to make us see that we are spiritually bankrupt. We are spiritually bankrupt. We are unworthy to change our position before the holy God. Before the holy God. The genuine humility produced by the Lord as an element of the work of salvation. There is numerous divine commands in the scripture, in the New Testament. Matthew writes in chapter 18, verse 4, Whosoever shall humble himself as a little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, he that, humble, he that humbleth himself will be exalted. That is command. James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Holy Lord, and he shall lift you up. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 5, Be clothed with humility, for God resisted the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Please keep this in mind. Our Lord perfectly harmonized with his sovereign work of God. Sovereign work in salvation is never without personal cooperation. If salvation is of the Lord, then he expects me to respond to the salvation, is it not? True. If humility is from God, he expects me to search my own heart and see where I need to do homework. In the light of the sovereign work of God and our responsibility, it is helpful to look at some of the steps from the human side of our divine work. Human side is our, and God's work is always different. Now, let me combine together and you follow this. Very important. How do we achieve humility? Number one, first step, exercising humility, turn our eyes of ourselves and look to God. As long as you see yourself, you always stand tall.
the first step in ex- experiencing humility is to turn our eyes off ourselves and look to God. And you know, we, we sing that chorus, remember? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will strangely go dim in the light of his glory and his grace. It's true. It's true. As long as you see yourself, you never see Christ. You know, my friend, there are two spirits working in the world. The spirit of Lucifer will take you up and the spirit of Christ will take you on your knees. So how do we get that? When we study the when we study the scripture, when you read the word, when you seek his face in prayer and sincerely desire milk and meat from the word, then you realize then you're going towards what the Lord has for you. You know my friends, I emphasize over and over and over again, get in to the word. Very important. You know, I'm, I'm glad those who are reading the Bible, I'm so thanking God for you. But those who just come and open the Bible only Sunday, you don't expect what the Lord has in store for you that you can have it. For you then, like a world is like a well. You are in the well, that is your world. Get into the scripture. Get close to the word. Sacrifice your sleep. Oh, I now know that is not right. You know, my friends, I, I'm so grateful to the Lord. All humility I say, over this 50 years, 5-0, 50 years, the Lord always woke me up between 2.30 and quarter to 3 to be with him. And I enjoy him. I enjoy him. I don't get it enough from the word. I want to chew. I want to eat. I want to digest. More I read, more I realize I don't know anything. When you go get closer to him that way, then you know what is inside of you. Isaiah, you know, in chapter 5 and chapter 6, there are six times he said, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And then in chapter 6 when he says, when the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And what did he say? Woe to me. Do you see the difference? When he saw himself, in the light of holy God, then he saw the infirmities and the weaknesses of him. Previously, he was pointing to everybody, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. But when he saw the king, and he said, woe to me, I'm done. That is the beginning, friends. That is the beginning. And you know, in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 5, you remember, the disciples toil whole night and they catch nothing. Catch nothing. Frustrated. And Jesus came along and uh, he got into the boat and uh, told Peter, 
Do you, did you catch anything? He said, nothing. I said, cast your net on the right side. And the Bible tells us in chapter, Luke chapter 5, verse 4, 5, it's a beautiful verse. He said, cast your net. If Peter was reasonable, he would have argued with Jesus, what do you know about the sea? I'm the fisherman. Whole night we did it, and we catch nothing. Who think you are? But he says, at your word. At your word. And then he was told it is Jesus. What did he say? Depart from me. I am a sinful man. That realization comes only when you get closer to him or his word. Get closer to him, my friends. Then you know everything what the Lord has. So the first step is turn your eyes from you and focus on the word and the Lord. Secondly, Second step in experiencing the humility, we must starve the flesh by removing the things that feeds our flesh. Let me say it again. How do we achieve humility? Starve flesh. Remove the things which feeds the flesh. That's an important thing. Important thing. How many casualty we see on internet because they feed the flesh. We all know that the essence of the fleshly nature is pride. Remove those things which promote the pride. Look at Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Though he was God, yet he did not consider equality with God something to think about. He made himself of no reputation. Amen to that. And we are entering into the Passion Week, and that's what we are going to consider about him. He who knew no sin was made sin for us, and he, though he was God, yet he became poor. So much so. That he made. Everybody wants to be reputed. Everybody wants to reputation. But here is a king of glory. Who made himself of no reputation. Thirdly. Third step. Balancing the principle in coming to the humility. Asking God for. As David asked. Create in me a clean heart. O God. And renew the steadfast spirit within me. Remember. Humility comes first. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for that is the kingdom of heaven. So the meaning of the poor or poverty, and then why humility first, how to achieve. Now, the fourth thing, how do we know that we are humble? Oh, that's the important thing. That's evaluation. That's evaluation. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try and see, is there anything? So here is many things will help us to examine whether we have that spirit or not. Number one, and this is according to Thomas Watson, the old Puritan. I love him. You know, the body of truth by uh, Thomas Watson next to the Bible. They're so beautiful. Three volumes. I, I just love it. I read it every page. I recommend every page. Thomas Watson gave us seven principles to examine whether we are we have 
the poverty of the spirit or not. This is what Thomas Watson says. Number one, if we are humble, we will win from ourselves. One who is poor in spirit loses himself or herself. His preoccupation of self is nothing. Christ is everything. He win from himself. Did we find in Paul? Did we find in Paul in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20? What did he say? I crucify with Christ. Not I. Christ lives in me. You know my friends. We all profess on Christ the solid rock I stand. But do we really possess on Christ the solid rock I stand? Win, Thomas Watson says, win from yourself. Learn from Paul. He crucified himself. And he said, for me to live is, and to die is. When you win yourself from self, you come to that point, not I, but Christ. When you win yourself, then you say, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Second, according to Watson, humility always brings us on our knees. Humility always brings on our knees in the loss and the wonders of Christ's love for us. You know, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, I think. Yeah, 14. He said, the love of Christ constrains me and leaves me no choice. It's not Paul's love for Christ, my beloved. Remember that. He's not talking about his love for Christ, but his love for Paul. Why me, O oh God, that you love me? You know, when I'm on my knees, I always lost and say, Lord, I'm dust. You know my days are numbered. And you yet every morning you breathe the breath of life in me. And make me alive every morning. I thank you. When you go to bed in the night, you say good night. But you never know whether there will be a good morning or not. Unless God breathed the breath of life in the morning and he said, rise and shine. Lost in the wonder of Christ's love and his sacrifice. And this is the week, my friends, we are to wonder more about Christ and his sacrifice for us, who we are. That God become incarnate and took upon himself my guilt, my sin, my wretchedness and pay for me and declare me not guilty before heaven. And he will, one day he will present me blameless, pure virgin in the presence of God. Such knowledge should lead us on our knees with thanksgiving. That one day I will share myself. I will be just like him. Thirdly, 
we will not complain about our situations when we are have a spirit of humility we will not complain our situations no matter how bad it may become we know that we deserve the worst than anything we can experience in this life we will consider no circumstances to be unfair when the tragedy comes and strikes us we will never say why me because we know he controls You know, my dear beloved, when you go through anything in your life, the world is watching you. Your children are watching you. Your grandchildren are watching. Your neighbors are watching you. When you call yourself believer in Christ Jesus, they're watching you how you handle. If you if you keep on saying why me, why me, then I say, well, there's no difference between him and me. but with the smile you say i can handle with god's help we are learning about job it is so powerful so powerful i got good feedback from you it's so wonderful a job never complain why me probably his wife but he did not when our suffering is for christ's sake we will not complain and feel ashamed but we will glorify god because we know that everything will work together for his glory remember the suffering of this present time are not worth or worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to one another that's why beloved pray me anybody who's going through we know the best is yet to come best is to come this earthly tabernacle will go who cares fourth we will we will more clearly see the strength and the virtues of others when you have the spirit when you have a spirit of humility you will see the strength of other people and your weakness in your own self fifth we will spend much time in prayer when you are humble before god when you have a spirit of humility you want to spend more in your prayer closet than anywhere else more time in prayer just as the physical beggar begs for the physical sustenance the spiritual beggar begs for spiritual sustenance is it not true do you find that in your spiritual journey we will knock often heaven's gate because we are always in need six we take christ on his terms <laughs> not on my terms when you have a spirit of humility you are sign of everything matter of fact i always use that word when you have a christ in you when you came to the cross you already attended your own funeral service 
your flesh, yourself, you put in a casket and you stand outside and you say, hey, Solomon is dead now. He lives because Christ lives in him. We take Christ on his terms, not ours, while keeping our pride and our pleasure and our covetousness and our immorality at his feet. Seventhly, when we are poor in spirit, we will praise and thank God for he has counted you worthy. He has counted you worthy. Have you ever wondered there are more than 7 billion people and God had mercy on you in Torrington? And brought you from darkness to the marvelous light in Christ Jesus our Lord and you are adopted into heaven's family? Such knowledge should lead us on our knees forever to thank him. It's not my doing, it is his doing. What is the result? What is the result? Those who come to the king in his humility will inherit heaven and the kingdom of God. God has already chosen to give his kingdom to those who humbly come to him and trust him. Those who come to the Lord with the broken hearts, he will never never cast you out. Because why? Because you are obeying on his term. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Let's close with that verse. Somebody can read loudly, please. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Thank you, Sony. That is the promise of God Almighty. Believe that and take his word and he will never depart from you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you very much for your word which has come to us this evening. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you help us to search our own heart and see where we are. And help us, O oh God, that we want you to be abiding with us forever. Do not let us down. Help us, O oh God, that we may continually obedience to you. Give us the grace as you promise and help us to live unto thy glory. In Christ's name we pray.